So we have dealt with uh, uh, marriage. That's what we did in the first lesson. And then we dealt with divorce, the second lesson, and then uh, did remarriage on the third lesson. And today we are looking at uh, lesson four, which is Q&A. And the way I've structured the questions is, uh, the questions are in four parts. There is questions touching on matters to do with pre-marriage, and then uh, questions of marriage, and then uh, questions of uh, divorce, and then remarriage. That, that's how the questions are structured. Um, so then let, let's do, look at uh, the question of when does marriage begin? When does marriage begin? I, I think that's, that's a very important question to consider because we do not have a, a very clear um, statement in the scriptures that says the day one of your marriage will be, uh, you know, um, we don't have that. So we have to put together many texts to come up with uh, an answer to that question. And the, the way I have responded to that question is by saying that when there is an orderly consent between a mature man and a mature woman, with the blessing of the parents and witnessed publicly, then marriage has taken place. Uh, because you see, the Bible does not require a wedding. The Bible does not require a wedding as we know it today. Yet, the Lord has given the church four areas of power. Uh, the church has authority in at least four different areas. Uh, the Lord has given the church the authority to proclaim the gospel from the scriptures to the world. So the church uh, does take the Bible, proclaim it, and hope, hopefully through that, unbelievers will be saved. That's the first power the church has. The other power that the church has is um, the power to excommunicate erring members. So, and, uh, so the members of a church who persist in sin and are unrepentant, then those are to be excommunicated. Uh, the Lord has given us the keys so that what we loose on earth, it's loosed in heaven, and what we bind on earth is bowed in heaven. That power that the church has been given is uh, the power to um, order her life and the life of her members, obviously, in a manner that is in accordance with the word of God. And, and it's on that issue then, on the third power that the church has, that, that in the past there has been a consensus amongst all the churches that there should be a public recognition of when a marriage should begin. Now, the laws of the land, too, have a, a specific time when marriage should begin. And this is with the understanding that marriage is a public covenant. It's a public covenant. or It's between two uh, mature people, man and woman, who have come from their families 
who are expecting to bless their union. So clearly it's already very public. Now for believers, they need to do this in the presence of God. Where does God, uh, God's presence especially manifest itself? When two or three are gathered, uh, like, like we had, we've done today. So that's a whole reasoning behind the wedding so that uh, there is an orderly um, beginning of it. Uh, very quickly, I need to point out the fourth power that the church has. It is the power of uh, evil. Uh, the church uh, has power over darkness. The Lord said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Uh, and, and so that means that Whatever demons exist, whatever wickedness there is out there, uh, forces of darkness, they cannot prevail against the Church of Christ. Now, back to our, uh, to our subject, the, or the orderliness of life is where the whole matter of um, wedding falls. It is not directly instructed in the scriptures. It's the Church that universally uh, agreed on marriage beginning that way being a public uh, covenant. So then the question that comes to mind is, what, what then do we say about customary marriages? Now, the Kenyan law recognizes a number of uh, marriages. Uh, there is the marriages that are uh, essentially monogamous, that is the civil marriage, uh, Christian marriage, and the Hindu marriage. Those are essentially monogamous. And uh, the one who has entered into that kind of a marriage cannot be polygamous. Um, and if you were to enter into any other marriage while in the first marriage, if the the first marriage has not been dissolved, then you could be sued. If you're either married in, in, a, uh, in a civil way uh, or married to church, a Christian wedding, or a Hindu. But two other marriages are polygamous. The, the Islamic uh, marriage is up to the fourth, a man can marry up to four wives. That's allowed by their laws. But then, our focus is on the customary marriage, which the law recognizes. And uh, the customary marriage is polygamous. And uh, it doesn't even restrict the number of wives one can marry. So if a Christian then decided to marry in a customary way, then he is also, uh, he is also almost saying that he's likely to pick other, other wives along the way. And that's why then we as Christians would not be quick to encourage people to stick only with the customary uh, marriage. So customary weddings, are they acceptable to Christians? The answer is yes, they've been indeed married. They are indeed married. Uh, if that has been conducted in, in an orderly way, so it's not... Um, eloping with someone's daughter, uh, because in some communities that would be regarded as marriage. Uh, or, but it's a no if 
the persons involved in this customary uh, marriage are thinking of polygamy. Um, so what that means then is if you had your uh, engagement, uh, you had your uh, perhaps dowry payment, and all that was done, those people are not cohabiting if they had the blessings of their parents that way. They were indeed married and the church needs to recognize that. But what the church should do is help them perhaps obtain the, the certificate of marriage so that it's legally binding, but also bless publicly that marriage so that, again, it is uh, acceptable in a Christian setting. I feel like people may be having issues there, but um, if you do have a question, you can, if you have a question emanating from these answers, you can still be given a microphone and ask. But the, the other question that comes from this particular one is, uh, if, if there was, say, dowry paint, uh, should those people be regarded as married if they still intend to get uh, to do their wedding? So after your, in many communities in Kenya, you notice that, uh, especially during that, Rashio, Kweto, uh, depending on what community you come from, that event is almost as good as a wedding. Uh, and the parents would not have any qualms saying that we have given our daughter in marriage. You two now are one. You know, the parents would say that. Um, but usually there would be no consent uh, from the parties involved. So the question is, should we regard that, uh, those two people as good as married, as Christians? And the answer is no, because they still intend to exchange their vows publicly. Uh, they haven't done so. They have not specifically been asked about their consent. Um, but if you wanted to just remain at that point and you're not going to have a wedding, it's, it's all right. But the question there is, how orderly is it? What testimony is it for a Christian to not do things in a way that would be acceptable uh, by other Christians? Or it would raise questions. Let me just put it in terms of raising questions. So to me, uh, at least that looks like uh, you would raise more questions than answers. And it's better to wait until you have your wedding before you... Uh, declare yourselves married. In any case, I don't think anyone should declare himself married. It should be the other way around. You should be declared husband and wife by someone else who has a position of authority. Is there any comment there before I move on? Now, I need to clarify that I'm not in, in any way encouraging any of us here to do things that way. I'd like you to do things in an orderly way uh, where we all would be present and, and witness your wedding 
and hopefully um, you know see your consent and your parents and have the gospel proclaimed to your relative. Uh, Mike has a has, has a question. Morning. Good morning. Uh, my question is: the way you said it, Pasi, is uh, after dowry payment as as a Christian. Uh, when say, for example, after you've given the dowry to to the lady's uh, uh, parents, would it suffice when you come back? Say, if you uh, don't have the finances, really to carry out a huge wedding or even not just a huge wedding a modest wedding and ask your pastor someone who is an authority to conduct your wedding in the presence of say your best couple who in a sense would act as witnesses uh would that suffice as a as a wedding uh yes if you, you, there is no um, <clears throat> there's no requirement that there should be what we call wedding, you know, with all the pomp and show. You only need five people for the wedding to take place. You obviously need the couple to be there with two witnesses and with a pastor. Those are the five people. That would suffice. Uh, perhaps even better should some of these uh, events be done in the presence of the pastor and the whole matter concluded there and then? To Malizia Maneno Hapo Hapo. I would say there is nothing wrong with that if the necessary... Now, I need to clarify that the minister who officiates at our wedding is, bear, uh, is, is wearing two hearts. It's bearing two responsibilities. There is a responsibility before God and, and that is as a, a minister of the gospel, but also the responsibility to the state. Because uh, at the time when I would be officiating at a wedding, really I am a registrar of marriages. And so then the necessary procedure for registration of a marriage where a 21-day notice is given at the uh, Attorney General's office, that is as, at the Registrar of Marriages office, um, then wait after 21 days, you, are, you go back for what they call interview. They ascertain that you have everything needed. And then after some days, you know, you apply for, uh, you apply for uh, either the Registrar's certificate or the special license, depending on how your wedding would be carried. Now, if your wedding will be done at a special place where the minister of religion or where the registrar who is a minister of religion is not registered, then in that case, you'll have to pay for what the government calls special license, which costs 7,200, uh, I think. Um, and that's what would happen if the 
let's let's call it uh, koito is happening at your parents place in that case there would be it would be special license and it is it is acceptable and so the whole thing can actually be concluded there if the necessary procedure has been followed but there is another related question which is assumed in all this conversation should we pay dowry or bride price or should we not for your information dowry is what is paid by the bride to get the groom. Bride price is what is paid by the groom to get the, the bride. So it's, it's the other way around. Uh, dower is what is given to obtain a man, and bride price is for the bride. So if you say you paid a dowry, really there is a problem there. Uh, but, but the question is, should anything be given to the parents? Since it's a question that was not asked by anyone, it was assumed universally that something needs to be paid or given. However you look at it, now I have a question for you. What do we do about the bride price or the dowry? Though our culture, in our culture, we don't really talk about dowry uh, as that technical word that I've explained. Yes, I'm waiting to hear from you. I would have expected the young and unmarried men and women would be, you know, saying, no, we don't want any bride price paid. It makes life harder for us. Uh, yes, Mike, Mike has a response again. Yes. No, yes or no? No, Percy, I don't have a response. Oh. Probably to make your question even sweeter. Yes. How then can Christians uh, conduct the, the bride price? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, for your information, in Nigeria, they have three weddings. They have um, the traditional wedding, and then they have the civil wedding, and then they have the white wedding. The white wedding is the church wedding, where it would be their gowns and all. I'm waiting to hear what is your rationale behind payment of the bride price, which is very common in Kenya. Uh, yes, please. What's your name? I'm James. Yes, James. Go ahead. Well, good morning. Good morning. So I think it will all depend upon the agreement between the couple, the couple that is the, between the, those who are to wed and the parents. So if the parents say it, we want 100 ephahs and uh, 300 foreskins from Philistines, go ahead and, and get them. As it was for David, wasn't it? Saul was a cruel man. So if, the, if there is agreement, yeah, by all means. I, I think you should have added, and there is money, isn't it? Or there is the resources needed. But I'm asking what really is the thinking behind this demand for bride price? Uh, yes, go ahead, uh, Dennis.
um thank you um so to answer your first question mm. about the bride price uh if i scan the whole of the at least the new testament at at best i would say no at this value considering there is no um pres- there is no prescription at best uh to say that we should pay this bread price and this is what consists of the bread price right uh so at at that i would say no uh but uh, so let me not go to the second question first okay. i think you can res- uh, you respond to it <laughs> okay so dennis says no and i think it's to his advantage <laughs> yes there is a, a response here uh, charity So um I just want to give an opinion I don't know what you think about it. Yes. But I'm I'm thinking why Brian price? Yeah. And not dowry. Men being the providers should prove to the parents of the bride that they are being they will be able to provide for their daughters. Okay. So you prove your metal as a man by paying the bride the bride price i think we, we could say that to a greater extent that that could be ascertained if we can give so much uh but but then you would find that mostly the parents of the groom end up being the ones to pay whatever is demanded or if you live in Nairobi like we do you call your friends form a whatsapp group and uh give whatever money the friends raise and give the price the bride price so you haven't really proved that you can provide i mean you can say i did that i can mobilize so many of my friends and meet my needs uh but i think that would be a stretch so i think uh, i'm not so sure that that really uh, helps uh, another response as to the thinking behind the bride price uh to those outside our, our culture would say why are you selling your daughters and why are you you know buying and selling people so it, it looks very awful uh, yes kalif um I I'll give an example I had about two believers from different cultures in our country. Yeah. And um there was this gentleman, young man who was interested in this lady and then when it came to bride price um this young man didn't have anything mm-hmm. but he struggled to get an amount and he gave it to the father-in-law to be but after some one week or something he called him back and refunded it all okay and then he told him i wanted to see your 
commitment and your how committed you are to my daughter mm-hmm. so i don't know how that helps us but i think i would wanted to throw that in there i wish all the parents of their daughters did that i think that's a good example you had two two examples no uh, uh that was the just one example okay all right all right okay uh yes tito uh has been uh, the one who has paid the 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 bride price the, the in in the in the near past so i think he his memory would serve as the best <laughs> yes go ahead uh, tito yeah so i wanted to say what other cultures not necessarily necessarily the kenyan culture do with the bride price is that uh the 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 money or the livestock or whatever will be given will be a security for the for the bride oh yes okay what does that mean security yeah in case the the man divorces uh-huh. the lady yeah. then that bride price would be given to the lady does it really work like that yes i hope it 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 I hope it did but uh, that would be really helpful to the lady if she was divorced and uh, but then isn't isn't that presupposing divorce too much uh, anyway yes but that that helps i hope you're not trying to rationalize uh, the whole matter um i think at the heart of it is the parents want to be honored in a particular way and uh, it would be wrong not to honor them that way so if you if you just left it at that perhaps we can uh, uh move on uh because in some cultures even in the west uh they would say that the the parents of the bride should cater for the wedding you would want to be in that kind of a culture isn't it? uh so the parents of the bride will not only give you their daughter but they would also pay up whatever it is for the wedding uh so in that way then we can argue that that's your payment of some sort but either way it's that the parents want to be honored honored in a particular way and we would be wrong not to want to honor them like that The other question is can a pastor say no to a couple that wants to get married and refuse to officiate at their wedding Yes no For what reason For whatever reason should the pastor listen to his conscience when he is being requested to officiate at a wedding yes mike even a luvisi has an answer 
think the pastor has a right to say no, especially if if uh, it's it's two mature adults who in in one instant in one case uh, say either the man or the the woman is a believer and the other one is an unbeliever then the pastor has a right to say no but is that the only one is that the only ground for saying no i've not thought of the other one okay uh alvisia yeah i think the pastor can say no if it's a matter of conscience because anything that does not proceed from faith sin and um there can be reasons that being one of them if there is there is sufficient proof that they for whatever reason they are not ready or there can be things that they need to work on before the pastor who's working with them can guide them but if they really want to proceed then they can look for another pastor they, because there can be matters of um conscience that someone does not want to go against their conscience yeah i think many times at least in my experience as a pastor uh couples expect that when they come to us for uh, to request us to conduct their uh their wedding we are definitely going to say yes and that's a serious misunderstanding because weddings are conducted on case by case basis when you come the pastor listens to you and asks questions and gives conditions if you're going to commit to those conditions then he says yes if not he says no so i do give three conditions myself when it comes to conducting any wedding one that you're committed to walking in purity and chastity in your uh, courtship until you get married number two that you're not going to fall into debts in the process of uh, having your wedding so if you're going to take a loan and uh, and you came and, and requested me to officiate and, and you said pastor uh you know i'm now ready to get married i've obtained a 500k of a loan to do this to underwrite these expenses i would immediately say no sorry i can't i can't take your wedding then the third reason is um you have to commit to being in full charge of your wedding uh, don't blame anyone else for whatever may not go as expected and make sure that then that you are in full charge of your wedding then i also i think there is a fourth one which is uh, you will commit to a premarital counseling which which would be about four three or four sessions depending on whether i know you well enough or not so that, those are the basic uh, conditions that i would give and if you said no i'm likely to also say no yeah is there any other question related to pre-wedding 
uh, things like age. Uh, I think that that still that has still remained a contentious issue. Uh, you know, is age a factor or is it not? Yes. Sorry, Kosi, to take you back. Uh, uh -huh. I asked a question uh, with regards to how Christians should conduct uh, the bride price ceremony. Yes. Uh, just want to hear what you you have to say on that, especially when when your parents. Right. Yeah. Well, I do say that uh, Christians uh, need to have their matters negotiated by other Christians as much as possible. They are the ones who would be who would understand how Christian matters need to be done. Uh, it's not of a drink of alcohol, uh, you know, it's not going to be filled with lies or deceit or anything that is uh, untoward. So I do advise brethren to, as much as possible, uh, use other brethren in helping them negotiate uh, such or navigate through such matters. Um, Another principle is um, <clears throat> uh, even where there are differences, they should be done honorably. Uh, don't, don't fight over it. Uh, don't insist too much on your own way until you burn bridges. Because we are to strive for peace with all men and for holiness without which uh, no one will see the Lord. Then... Um, you know, always don't, don't conclude that uh, you can't afford it even before you talk. You know, you go and talk and, and see whether what you have to offer is acceptable or it's not. And the talking is also two-way. Let the lady also be willing to make her parents amenable to whatever the groom has or the groom's parents might bring. Because when everything has been said and done, if, they are, if your parents are given so much, you are so much less uh, as you begin your, your, your marriage. So uh, don't, don't come with the mentality that it is his money, it is their money, um, and it, you are enriching our parents. Uh, don't, don't think like that. When it comes to the actual ceremony, it's still your ceremony. Be at the top of it by talking with your parents and telling them that I don't want this. You know, if this is my wedding, if this is my event, then please, I am a Christian. I want it conducted like A, B, C, D. And uh, usually they listen. They know that this is your event. They don't want to antagonize their children too much. I mean, the parents don't want to antagonize their children too much. They would always be very willing and, and amenable. <laughs> and even where they push, they want to be sure that you are, you are persuaded, you're convinced about this person. And I think that's something that, that young men don't quite appreciate about uh, their, their, their parents-in-law to be, that it is in their right to ascertain that their daughter is being married by a good man. And they are, they are going to do that by pushing you as much as they can to be sure that you are what you promise to be. 
So when they say no to you, or they want this and it, they want another, and they seem to be shifting the goalposts every now and then, and you feel like Jacob in, uh, in the hands of Laban, please, uh, you need to be as willing as possible. And that's how you, you would prove what kind of a person you are. But also, it's a time when uh, you would get to know them, get to know these people for who they are. Uh, sometimes you're totally wrong. You think that uh, after you're married, but uh, you find out that after you're married, they're really good people. You, you know, I remember going for someone's uh, bride price negotiation. And uh, the father of this bride-to-be told us that you can eat and drink, but before we talk, I want 200,000 on the table. And I'm not even going to tell you for what. So if you don't put 200,000 there on the table, there would be no talking. And uh, that's how we very quickly lost our ground because all we had was nowhere close to 200,000. Yeah. And so we were kicked out and we drove back. I think it was a seven hour journey. Very dejected because nothing had been agreed upon. But then uh, a year later, we had 200K, we put it on the table, we were able to talk. That's all he wanted. He wasn't going to ask for anything else. And then at the wedding, he gave them a gift of 500,000. He said, uh, <laughs> he told us that he, he, he was an old man. He wanted to be sure that the man who was marrying his last-born daughter would be able to look after her. So if the man would not prove that, then he wasn't ready to get married. You can come back when you're ready. That's how it went. Okay, back to the age. Are we all persuaded that uh, age is not really a factor? Yes, uh, Eric. I, I have missed most of this um, Sunday school. Yeah. Though I think age is not really a factor, but there is an extent to which it can be a factor. Um, the, there can be, yeah, there can be an extent to which the age can be a factor if it's way too, too big of a gap, like the, the, the the guy was marrying was like 30 marrying an 80 years old lady there was a case of 25 year old marrying a 75 year old woman yeah the there can be you you might wonder that there can be a gap which is really um it can be problematic but also there can be other aspects from the lady's side that um it may really depend on the lady how ready she is with the um, aspect of submission and um, the um, being uh, taking the man as the head to submit to to him as Sarah would call Abraham her lord 
and uh, matters of maturity, uh, finances, and all these other things, and how they can manage and build up a home. So there can be a, a gap which um, may not really work out work together. But taking you back to the the question of sorry to take you back, but there there can be this question if the family um has has said there is no way they are, then they're going to give their pride if this is not provided and um it cannot be provided so it's just an amount that it will you will have to work many years if you're going to provide and the family has been clear that that won't happen i don't know what advice you'd give to the young man or to them um what would you do to parents who are unreasonable, isn't it? Uh, they could be unreasonable, not just in terms of dowry, but they might also be saying uh, that uh, our daughter can never be married by a man of another tribe or of another race or of another country. Um, they can also be saying that unless you bought two for, for the parents, sorry, it's not going to happen. Whatever they may come up with, which is unreasonable, what do you do? I think that's a question, isn't it? Yes, uh, Stanley. Um, I just want to add more on the same question. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not answering. Oh. Um, in the same comes with the clan. Um, you find that there is a demand that is coming from um, the parents, brothers or sisters, and uh, it comes in a very hard way that this must be done. This is the way that we do in our clan. So how do you get to navigate the same? Who would like to respond? Uh, Kevin would like to respond. We are all putting our wisdom to the table, so I do not have monopoly for wisdom. Yes, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, so I'll try starting with, I think it's, it's pretty much the same thing. The way I see it is what we owe our parents is honor. Right. Right? So whatever... Like throughout the process, what we need to do is make sure that um, our parents still retain the place being parents mm -hmm. and they are honored. That doesn't mean that everything they demand, we must meet. So I think there's a, there's a line that must be drawn beyond which you say, in a very respectful way, as much as possible, we will work very hard to honor you, uh, but where it's beyond us, allow us to disagree respectfully. Because I think it's possible if like something like the tribe, you know, you can't change your tribe, whatever you try. Um, and yet I think it's not right to say I will not marry this person because you're of a different tribe. And yet you're believers. So I think yeah. Still if you're believers you can always say that we are of the same tribe. Yes. Uh, we are Israelites. Yeah, and so we, we can marry from, from <laughs> yeah. So I think that's what we owe our parents. It's honor. Yeah. And honor is not always going the direction they say, but even as you even as you 
disagree, you do it in a way that doesn't disrespect or dishonor them. And the same thing I think goes to the clan. And, as, and I think for the clan especially, um, the other line that must be drawn is sin versus no sin. So if anything is being proposed that is sinful, we remember that we first owe our allegiance to God and then honor to the rest, right? So yeah. I think that priority must be done in an honorable and respectful um what about where the parents are saying um you're too closely related okay i'll yes. give him back the mic but yes. they they <laughs> 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 yes the so i'm i'm wondering just a follow-up when they say that they will disagree respectfully yeah do you mean that you run away with the bride and you continue with the wedding even with the parents' disapproval of of that? All right, Kevin, that's a rebuttal that you need to deal with. I think running away with the bride could be dishonorable, right? So you still want you still want to honor even when you know you're disagreeing with giving a posh cayenne. You, but you can set as many emissaries as possible. You can delay, yes. isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, you try to win them over and uh, uh, let them see that you are amenable. Uh, but don't be too quick to dismiss what they are saying. Yeah, what about the earlier question? What about if they are saying that they are protecting your interests, however they are doing it? Because that's what the parents are thinking. You know. They're not being malicious, are they? No, the parents love you. They, they just want to protect your interest. They want to be sure that their daughter is at, a safe, uh, is at a safe place and in safe hands and so forth. Uh, yeah, yes. Um, I, being a parent and a, a daughter at the same time, I don't think we come from families where we are strangers to each other. I should know as a daughter who is about to get married, I should know my parents very well. I know their interests, I know, I know their values, I know their conflict with tribes and, and, and nationalities and all that. And as a Christian, I owe it to God and to Christian um, relationship that we have as the Israelite of God to win my parents over into knowing that we are one in Christ, no matter the color or the tribe. Um, I think the struggle plays a lot when we are very, we very fast conclude that our parents are against us marrying so-and-so because of this, because they send it, yet they are communicating a different thing. And because we are impatient or we are poor communicators and we don't have a relationship with them, we go around saying that my parents, because they are not believers, they are telling me not to do this. Yet we've not been Christians to them. We've not, we've not been children, Christian children to our parents. So I am very convinced that there is no parent or there are very few parents want to disown their children at the point of getting married simply because they are marrying from a tribe or another country or of a standing. 
These are things that you should know before you get married uh, or before you get there and be able to win them into it. Because if I knew that my parents are against a certain tribe, I will not have a default that says I won't marry that tribe simply because they feel that. But it's my responsibility to win them and to help them know that there is no one who chooses a tribe. Um, what if we are closely related? It's the same problem with me as a Christian who wants to get married. Why don't I know my relatives? I think it's a problem here in Nairobi or in towns because we are not closely um, around our homes or we have given our relatives a blanket um, description that they are unbelievers or they are, the, they are like this and that. But later in life, in your marriage, you discover that in so many ways you are like your parent, like it or not. Yes, I think we need to win our parents' um, confidence, love, and we owe it to God who chose them to be our parents. Even if we, we lie that we are a different thing, along the way, we will come to agree with our parents why they thought A, B, C, D or we will come to understand why they thought that way. But sometimes it's a matter of communication, we don't understand each other, or we are not patient. Yeah. I agree with Kevin that we need to, pass, to work very hard towards honoring them. Even if it means talking to them so many times or getting a leave and going to the rural home and staying with them for some time and winning them. Yeah, um, thank you for that. I, I remember a case here where uh, a certain young man wanted to marry another young lady from different tribes, and the parents of the or uh, the father of the groom to be was very opposed. And the only reason he had was that she was from a different tribe. I, I think there was also an age factor as well, but um, I. I suggested, I remember one day he called me, the father called me, and he said, uh, there is an event coming up, a family event coming up. There was some other cousin who was getting married. Please tell my son not to come to the wedding with his friend. I said, why is that? And he said, because I don't want to see her. And why do you not want to see her, sir? He said, because if I see her, I'm likely to find out that she's a lovely daughter. <laughs> she's very love. Uh, she's. I, I might fall in love with her just like my son, and and put my guns down. I said, but that's a good thing. He said, no. I want to deal with her, a faceless someone, saying no just because of. And I said, that's where you go wrong. But I think that got me thinking. That uh, the way we deal with our parents can be too mechanical, uh, that we don't allow them even to get to know the people that they are dealing with. So the first time they meet up with your bride uh, or with your, uh, with your, with your man, uh, bride, bridegroom, excuse me, groom, uh, is at the formal events when they are coming for dowry negotiation. And surely it's so easy for them to say no because they barely know that man. They barely know their people. 
But um, if they have seen you do one thing or another uh, with their daughter, they've known you, they've related with you, it would be easier for them to very readily accept you. But uh, if you're just a faceless person wherever you are, it's very easy for them to say no because they don't know you. All they know is your tribe. So I think that makes it hard for them. Seems like we've taken so, such a long time talking about. Uh, uh, yes, Dennis. Questions are still coming. I don't know that we'll be able to complete this today. Then, yes, Dennis. And I, I suppose it's because we did not spend much time talking about pre-marriage. Uh, we only began at marriage. Uh, so I have uh, like three questions. Yes. Uh, there's one from, okay, I won't say their name. Uh, my question, which, my question, which Bible verses guide the one husband, one wife union? That's coming from a viewer uh, on YouTube. And then there's another one. Any advice on how best couples are to support couples as to as they prepare to get married. Uh, then the other one is, uh, it's, uh, I think you had alluded to this a while back, but when is a union considered a marriage in God's eye? Um, this obvious holy matrimony, how about where we have come where we have a come with this situation, maybe even for 10 years, and there are kids involved. Is that marriage? Yeah, so that's our question. Okay, but uh, verses that support monogamy, Genesis 2.24, this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, clearly, a man is not man, uh, and then hold fast to his wife, seeing that uh, God created Eve for Adam and not Eve and someone else. The Bible says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, uh, verse 2, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. That's all in support of monogamy. But I think people also say, but there are examples of polygamy in the scriptures. I mean, look at Abraham, look at Jacob, look at, look at Solomon, look at David. But I think what people forget is that the Bible is not endorsing those polygamous relations. The Bible is simply reporting what happened. The Bible is being honest. The Lord is just reporting that he uses the worst. I mean, even those who are polygamous, he can use them in that case of Abraham and, uh, and, uh, and Jacob. Not to endorse, but to simply report historical facts. Uh, I think that, that's the answer to that first question. Let me deal with come we stay. Uh, People decided to live together. They've been together for the, for the last 10 years. Three kids have been born. Are they married? 
Yes or no? Are they married or are they not? They've not gone to the parents. They just met in Nairobi. They live together. Then the parents later hear, oh, my son has three sons. Um, those who are in come with stay relationships are uncomfortable. That's why they ask these questions. Because they are guilt-stricken. They are guilt-stricken. So my advice to you is get married. Stop wasting time. You know, uh, come talk to us. <laughs> Don't continue living like that. Uh, also, go talk with your parents as soon as you can and move on to remedy that situation. Because again, what, uh, from experience, what tends to happen is that when people are in come with same uh, marriages or, or rather relationships, they have no mechanism of dealing with their issues. They've no support from their parents. They've no support from their relatives. They've no much support from even the church with regard to their marriage because no one really committed to it um, uh, thoughtfully. It was all not done well. So it's good to go back to the drawing board. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Uh, repentance means turning around, doing the right thing. Question of when does marriage begin? That was addressed early in this uh, Q&A. So you can go back and uh, watch that. Now, how do best couples, how do you get support from best couples for those getting married? I would say that make sure in your marriage you have a go-to couple that you respect and love uh, who would be there for you when problems might come. So I never advise people to simply get when it comes to best couple because uh, legally that's all they are, witnesses. Uh, think very well about who could help you in terms of if there were to be problems in your relationship, which should primarily be your pastors, but there are times when even the pastors might not be readily available. So make sure that you have a couple that you can go to. <coughs> so uh, I think there are two paradigms when it comes to choosing best couple would help us in our wedding. So we want to look for a couple that married the way we'd want to get married. Give us advice on how they did their wedding. That's the end of the relationship. After the wedding is done, that's it. Isn't it? But anyway, you can develop it further and look for a mature couple that can help you with many more things than uh, one. They can help you with the wedding, but they can also help you with making life decisions, uh, managing your family, uh, having children and taking care of them. All those factors could be considered as you look for uh, the best couple. Now, as for the best couple themselves, themselves, how do you support those that you are, uh, those who have come to you? Be there for them and uh, offer them support by being present. When you are, when you when you accept 
such kind of requests, you're also committing to working with them somewhat. So you need to be available to care for them uh, that way. I think I, I need to stop there. Time is gone. I may have to pick it up again. Sorry, this is taking longer than I thought, but let's just uh, leave it that, at that. There are still more questions to be asked. Uh, perhaps I might have to negotiate with the best teacher so that I can answer those questions, but then I would also uh, write responses to individuals. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and uh, the time spent considering these questions. Um, may we be biblical. May we ever seek to conduct ourselves in marriage or even in relationships in a manner that is worthy of you. We want to, uh, to be godly, be holy in all that we do. So do hear us and bless us, Lord, for we pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen.